All right, hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast Twitch channel. My name is Michael, and we're here tonight for another episode of Detention Live. Joining me as always is my co-host, Chris. Chris, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. And then joining us tonight as a special guest co-host is Sam. Sam, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. I'm happy to be here. We are happy to have you as well. Um, you are currently, and I do mean currently, running a Kickstarter for a game that kind of, you know, if you look on my background here, I recently ran a Kickstarter for an action movie RPG. You are running a, a Kickstarter for a horror RPG. Some differences. Mine was GMless. I don't think yours is. Uh, so give us the elevator pitch. What is Slash and why should people go check it out? It's an RPG inspired by like 80s and 90s slasher movies. It is super fun, and I built it because I love one-shots, and I love horror scenarios that are actually scary. I've had a lot of trouble running horror in 5e because, you know, people have so much, so many hit points and just um, all this kind of... It's more like a tactical combat game at that point. But I was super inspired by games like Until Dawn, and as I mentioned, movies like Scream or Nightmare on Elm Street. And um, the whole system is based around, you know, having a... Um, a game master that controls like the killer, the the atmosphere, and then different people are these survivors um, that you're pretty weak, so you can die pretty quickly. But you move around, uh, you make decisions, and it, it's all based on like film stuff because I'm also a film buff. So um, all of them are based on horror movie tropes, like you got a jock, you got the kind of bimbo character, um, and then also all the abilities upgrade over the acts of like a of a movie. So if you're familiar with film or horror, or more importantly, horror films, um, you'll, you'll like it. Again, with all the, the problems we have, my internet is also being uncooperative. So unfortunately, my stream is breaking up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so this is a traditional game where you have a GM, right? Correct. It's not like a everybody GMs. It's one GM. Yes. Every, okay. Uh, and what is like the resolution mechanic? Because uh, you mentioned 5e. For you know horror movies, it, it's all about a power dynamic. You, like you have to be somewhat helpless or certainly less powerful than the bad guy, or it doesn't work. So I'm curious how that works when you're playing a game. Like when I roll to not die, what am I rolling? Yeah. So the dice are um, fun and and they're like unique dice. Um, they're inspired by um, things like the Genesis system and Time Stories White Cycle. Um, if you've played Time Stories, great game. Not an RPG really, but super fun. The whole premise is that you can get Hits that are like compared to a DC and they're like the star symbol and that will determine if you actually succeed a check. But there are also opportunities and setbacks, which are side effects. Um, and the way that they are placed on the uh, like the faces of the dice are such that you have um, a much higher likelihood of getting setbacks if you succeed and opportunities if you fail. So it is very much that kind of horror vibe of like, you know, you hit the killer with your weapon, but your weapon breaks. Mm. Or, you know, you trip over, but you're like, you know, you're grabbing at the revolver and you get a chance to grab it and fight back. Um, I wanted to make that because I don't like things that just kills you out of the blue. I like to give chances. And I also love the idea of the whole like butterfly effect, choice and consequence type of stuff where it's like every action has a chance to generate these opportunities, these setbacks, um, these things that can super change the story down the road. Um, and also, I am a big fan of systems that are not necessarily number-based. Um, despite technically being a math guy on my resume, I'm not super a math guy, which means that like when I have to roll like Pathfinder levels of of dice with well not dice but like adding stuff together, I'm I'm not as enthused. So I made it more for that. All right, very cool. Well, I appreciate you sharing it with us again. Congratulations, <laughs> Kickstarter is already really well funded. There's only a few hours left, but there is still time. So if anyone is interested in checking it out, it's called Slash. 
uh, with an exclamation point. It's on Kickstarter at the moment. I think it runs through till tomorrow, early afternoon, early morning, somewhere in there. Yep. Uh, 9 a.m. Right. Uh, that's my time, which is California time. So, yeah, oh. noon, noon EST. So with that out of the way, we have a couple people hanging out with us. Uh, Broda Bush was here for a little bit. He said the stream was lagging. And then Skip's here with us at the moment. Hopefully it right now it shows we're green. So we're going to keep going on. Uh, anyone else who might be lurking, welcome. My apology that the stream is weird tonight. But we're going to move on. We're going to do into what we normally call our extracurricular section. And this is where we just talked about what we're up to recently. It can be games we're playing, movies we're watching, uh, games we're creating, uh, just whatever we want, really want to share with strangers on the internet. Uh, Chris, I'm going to start with you tonight, buddy. What you been up to? Whew, not a ton. Work has got me very busy. Uh, did do a little vacation with the scouts this past weekend, doing a little river cleanup, had some fun with that. Uh, came back not feeling so good. Mm. So a little dizzy, a little nauseous. So we'll see how we do tonight. Um, may not be my normal jumping off the wall. So but we'll see how we do. All right. Well, I am sorry to hear that you're feeling under the weather. Um, I'll just go next cause I'm also slightly, uh, less than, uh, stellar. I am currently dealing with a kidney stone issue. Uh, so about two and a half weeks ago, uh, I've had kidney stones my whole life. I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned on the show before, like it's just something I've had since I was a little kid off and on. Sometimes I have them every year for a couple of years and I have them every other year for a couple you know, years. Uh, so when I start to have symptoms, I'm very familiar. I'm like, okay, I have a kidney stone. And that's basically what happens. Like, oh, okay, I have a kidney stone. Uh, about a week went by. I was trying to get in to see my doctor to get a CAT scan or a or CT scan or X-ray. And before I could get an appointment, it got so bad, I had to go to the emergency room. And not only do I have one, I have two kidney stones, uh, one in each kidney, you know, got to be fair and equitable to everybody. And then I went to Gen Con. So <laughs> I don't suggest you go to Gen Con with kidney stones. I, I Relatively unscathed. For the most part, I did fine. Uh, there were two nights where it started hurting pretty bad. And I, I have some of the good meds they give you when you go to the ER for kidney stone. I tried not to take them because they make me loopy. And I kind of missed out on some of my favorite part of Gen Con is hanging out with the buddies at the hotel each night. And two of the, the nights we were there, I took a pill with the, the plan to stay there and play. And like 30 minutes when that pill started kicking in, I'm like, okay, I need to go. And everybody's like, no, you need to go because you were acting too weird. Uh, so that kind of sucked. But <laughs> beyond that, it was a good Gen Con. I mean, I'm so glad I got to go. I got to hang out with all the buddies. I got to play the new Marvel superhero game with what what's like my lifelong best friend Brandon, who I've talked about on the show before. Was he's the reason I play D and D, but he fell out of it. I've been in since we were twelve. He's only played a few times since we you know were high school together, college. Uh, but he actually came up and got a one day badge at Gen Con and just came over and we played the two hour brand new Marvel superhero game together. I'm still trying to evaluate my thoughts on that game. The original playtest that came out like a year ago, I hate it. I'm like, this is this is terrible. Uh, it is very different now. I'm happy to say. Uh, I think I think kind of universally there was a lot of like negative feedback about it. It was it was just way too mathy, and I still I'm not sure who the game is for because I I have to imagine that Marvel who who <laughs> bankrolled this was thinking, hey, we have the most popular movies in the world. Why would we not want a role-playing game about that? We have all these people who are going to the movies who don't know anything about comic books. They probably also don't know that much about role-playing games. So I would assume that they're trying to capitalize on the popularity of their shows and movies to bring in a new audience. But this game is for people who've played role-playing games before. Like, if you don't know what you're doing, I, I don't think it's like 
brand new user friendly. Uh, so I still think they kind of missed the boat a little bit, but I will say I, we played it just as a two hour demo. We just like a fight scenario. I played daredevil. My friend Brandon played nightcrawler. We also had a miles Morales Spider-Man and we had a Luke cage and we all felt like those characters. Like I was hundred percent. I did things that was like, okay, that's exactly what daredevil should feel like in a game. Uh, my buddy played Nightcrawler, and he absolutely did a thing that's like, yep, that is exactly what Nightcrawler should feel like. And and he actually did the thing kind of like in the second X-Men movie when he's in the White House, and he's like jumping around, hitting a whole bunch of different people. Like he did that sort of thing mm-hmm. in the game. So I'll give it that. I don't know what creating your own characters would be like. I think it would be kind of messy. But if you just want to play existing characters, pretty good. I like that quite a lot. I got to play Sword of the Serpentine, which is the fantasy-skinned gumshoe game. So it's like investigative. You know, you automatically succeed. Uh, You can spend points to do certain things, but it's like a fantasy world. I got to play that with one of the designers uh, who actually, they won an innie. They won three innies uh, over the weekend, I think, for best writing, best cover, and maybe best setting. Uh, That was a lot of fun. That was a great time. I I really want to play Dragon Bane. Like, that was the thing I was super excited for, and it got canceled, unfortunately. I'm sure, again, my brain's just not working, but uh, I had a great time. Definitely looking forward to going back. And then the last thing I'll say is, I'll kind of wrap up here, is, of course, now that uh, that Gen Con is over, it is a Catacon time, uh, which is the gaming convention Mm -hmm. that Chris and I and some other people run up in Dayton, Ohio, each November. And our Kickstarter to fund our a, a convention goes live next Tuesday. So right now I'm full steam ahead to try to make sure that's organized and publicized and we're getting, you know, sponsors together and that kind of good stuff. Uh, so that is very much taking up every moment of my life that isn't taken up with going to driving three hours each way to get CAT scans. Okay. With enough of my nonsense, Sam, you're the one here people are here to see tonight. So tell us a little <laughs> about yourself, sir. What have you been working on? What do you want to st- share with strangers on the internet? Uh, well, uh, first and foremost, of course, I've been working on uh, my Kickstarter. That has been uh, fun trying to keep that up. There's a lot of, I was not an internet person until about 30 days ago. <laughs> and I realized just how hard it is. I don't know, doing internet community stuff is very difficult. And even as someone who kind of grew up in a more internet era, I, I do not know how people do it. I, I did not have an Instagram before this whole campaign. And I am just floored at how people were, were able to do that you know, for their entire life. Um, so that's been fun. I've been running a lot of play tests for that. Um, some really fun scenarios. We did um, an Alien-inspired one. We did a The Thing-inspired one. Um, super fun. Beyond that, let's see. I've moved back uh, up to... I am a senior at UC Berkeley. I have moved back uh, in, and I have uh, taken control of, through a violent uprising, not actually, I was obviously given this democratically, um, the uh, Tabletop uh, Games Club. I am the like, D&D coordinator, so that's been pretty fun. We're planning some, um, like, uh, a multiple DM campaign that is like a huge setting for all of our people to play in, so that should be fun. And then what else did I do? Um, I'm going to Colorado pretty soon. And I'm going to road trip around with some of my friends. And as for stuff I've just watched, I just finished uh, The Owl House, um, Mm. which is a Disney Channel show. It is good. The finale was a little bit of a less down. They sidelined some of my favorite characters because they kind of did the thing where they have like an ensemble-ish cast. And then they focus on the one main character. But the one main character is not the most interesting character. Um, But the show itself is super good. I've been gotten really into there was a period of my life where it's like, ugh, kid shows. I can't watch a kid show. But then I realized that that's stupid and that kid shows are some of the best shows um, because they don't have to rely on grittiness to be good. So so I got 
enjoyed that a lot. And now moving on to watching Avatar The Last Airbender, which I did not see when I was a kid, so I'm excited. Yeah, I uh, I mentioned that on the series before. I enjoyed I, that series a lot. Yeah, I did not watch Avatar when it was running, and my kid found it, you know, like maybe three or four years ago now, and I watched it with him, and I, I loved it. Like, the first three or four episodes were, like, almost too kiddy. Like, I was kind of like, uh. But once I got into it, it was amazing. Fantastic show. Sorry, my internet's still a little bit I wonky. I, I spoke over Chris. All right, go ahead, buddy. No, you're good. I was just saying that I, I really liked the Avatar series. The movie we can ignore. Yep, yep. Oh, I did actually see that. That was my first introduction. Oh, so, I'm uh, surprised yeah. you're still watching it. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. two different things. Just forget the movie. Yeah, the movie forget does well, not I will. exist. Yes. It's like the Phantom Menace. does not exist. All right. Well, thank you, Sam, for playing along. So we will move into our first improv game, and that is 10 Things. Uh, and then in this improv game, the way it works, we're going to take turns prompting each other in turn. Uh, the idea is immediacy is better than accuracy. So coming up with a list that matches the prompt quickly, even if they don't really make a lot of sense, is better than taking your time and coming up with a list that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, you are the guest tonight, Sam, so you get to choose. Do you want to go first in terms of prompting Chris or I, or would you like to go first and being prompted and giving your list? I think I will uh, prompt you, Michael. Um, I've just prompted one person, right? Yep, just one. And because you mentioned the Marvel superheroes, I think we'll do uh, top 10 superheroes with really bad powers, as in powers that are useless, but maybe situationally good. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's um, um, Exploding Pants Boy. Never, Never Drink Sour Milk Girl. Two. Um, can See Three Seconds Into the Future Guy. Three uh, has perfect clarity hindsight person. But four uh, can teleport, but can only teleport one foot person. Five um, Superman when he's in Smallville because there's a green kryptonite everywhere and he can't do anything. Six uh, bat, poor Batman. Batman, <laughs> but he has Seven. no money. Yeah, uh, plastic man, but he's like molded plastic, not flexible plastic. Um, myself, not a good superhero. <laughs> um, and, uh, always on laser vision person. Ben. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my, my internet's wonky. I'm sorry. That, that was terrible. Okay. So the way the game work, I will then right. prompt Chris and then Chris will finish up the circle and prompt you, Sam. All right. Um, so I was going to ask Sam this, but since he went first, I can't. So I'll ask you instead, because I'm also a horror movie fan. I'm more of an action movie person, but I do enjoy horror. The Thing is one of my all-time favorite okay. movies. It has definitely inspired the way that I run games. And I don't know if I've ever asked you this, Chris. So I'll ask you, give me your 10 top horror movies. Ooh. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. One. Uh, the First Friday the 13th. Two. The Exorcist. Three. Oh, I just blanked on the name of it. It's the one with the ball. Phantasm. Four. Oh, uh, Sorority House Slaughter. Five. Uh, Frat House Fight. Six. I think that's what it was called. Uh, uh, my senior year in high school. Seven. <laughs> uh, my freshman year in high school. Eight. Uh, most of my dating career. Nine. Uh, and uh, Scream. Ten. Ooh, that was in fact a really good with a theme there. Scream kind of cut it off though. So yeah, that is my favorite though. Scream is my favorite uh, horror movie probably. It's just it's too good. It's super funny as well as being, you know, making fun of all those classic horror stuff while still being actually good itself. I I 
was not as much of a fan of stuff like Scary Movie just because I felt like it was too parody. You know, Scream was oh, Scream yeah. is able to thread the line. Yeah, Scream was very yeah. good. It, it was a parody, but also an excellent example of the movie, and I think yeah. it works very well. All right, so same Chris, with Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Okay, so here's my theory on Cabin in the Woods. I liked it a lot. I think it would have been better had they played it perfectly straight where we don't see what's happening behind the scenes until we get the motorcycle into the force field. And then they should have went back and showed us everything we didn't see. I think knowing what was happening the whole time ruined the effect for me. My, I my liked that. Um, my main thing was I didn't like the ending. There is no way that that whole place that was eaten by monsters didn't have at least one person that satisfied each of the archetypes. I think the whole thing that they weren't like that Marty ended up destroying the world or whatever just felt like it missed the tone of the movie. I felt like it should have been more um, because it, it felt like that the old gods or whatever would definitely be satisfied with the bloodbath they saw in Act 3. So, mm. yeah. Fair enough. All right. So, Chris, you want to prompt Sam for his list of 10 things? All right. Uh, well, we did the slasher thing, so I'll flip it a little different. Uh, you said you're a computer science major. So how about uh, 10 computer languages slash terms? Uh, 10 computer languages slash terms. Let's see. All right. Uh, my top language has to be Python. It's just One, the best. Um, we have Java. Two. Two. Um, we have Scheme. Never use Scheme. Three. We have C, also never use C unless you have to, which Four. you do often. Four. Um, we have, of course, artificial intelligence. Five. Hot bu Five. buzzword now. Um, what else do we have? We have power cycling, uh, which is, we talked about before, <laughs> it's uh, turning something off and ba back on, on again. We have percussive maintenance, which is hitting something Seven. until it works. Um, let's see, what other terms or languages do we have? Oh, we have Dart. That's a fun one. Eight. Um, Eight. We have Swift. Uh, that's another language, nice. and uh, then I guess we have. Did I say Flutter yet? No. Uh, so. Then we have Flutter. That's another language. I feel like that was too many languages. Yeah. I should have gone with more terms. That's right. Oh well. The best thing is, is that I, if you could have made up any words, and I would not have known you were not telling the truth. Like you could have said. I should have just done techno babble. Yeah. Yeah. We'll grab you the could metric just do like a hacking in through the Jeffrey tubes. Yeah. Hacking into the mainframe with the quantithumal module. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's been, there's a, if you've ever played the Firefly RPG, uh -huh. um, they have this really great table of just stupid crap you can say in engineering. Like you roll the <laughs> dice and you're like, the uh, axis valve is modulating. And then it's just super fun because whatever you roll is just all these lists of techno babbly terms. And they're all really funny. I don't know. I just, I've been using that a lot. I've been running a space campaign and it's been super fun because um they don't have an engineer so i'm the one in the engineering department so oh, nice. uh, i just get to say that yeah. yeah actually i got a chance to play the firefly with one of the designers um i love the firefly tv show so i was actually stoked uh for that all right so we're going to move into used books this is usually mm -hmm. the sort of the meat and potatoes of the show we you know not always but for the most part the goal here is that we're going to talk about a campaign that one of us played in maybe we ran uh, and the idea is that we're looking for Lessons learned, maybe something we tried that worked really well. And we're like, hey, that's great. I want to do more of that. Or maybe something we tried that was terrible. And we're like, okay, never doing that again. Uh, so, Sam, you are the guest again tonight. Do you have a campaign you can talk about? I do. Um, so the one I'm going to be talking about right now, um, I've run a ton of mystery campaigns. Mystery and horror are my favorite genres. Um, and I've done mystery campaigns in about every setting you can imagine. You know, Wild West. 
uh, sci-fi, high fantasy, modern day, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but the one I'm going to talk about right now is uh, one called Mages of Manhattan that I ran. Uh, it was obviously, um, it, it was D&D system, but it was set in uh, 1920s New York, uh, where instead of the prohibition being on alcohol, it was on certain schools of magic. Uh, so the premise was that it was like a procedural cop kind of show where our uh, party of adventurers were uh, the NYPD um, Dark Magic Task Force assigned to like uh, basically, you know, solve different crimes. And there was this huge overarching plot, uh, which we'll get to in a second. On it did not, nothing worked the way I thought it was going to be, which is which is the important thing. Uh, so um, I got super into it and making like all these files and stuff. Like they they had a person they could look up the case files, they could look up the the uh, personnel files, and they could you know there was a newspaper that got published every session. Um, and I was took a lot of inspiration from the Space Cowboys Sherlock Holmes game, if you've ever played that. Um, not. It's not an RPG, but it is very fun. It's very fun, um, but basically there are these stuff from earlier adventures that affect later adventures, like the newspaper from the first session might affect the second session okay. and or even further down the road, uh, which okay. did not work. Um, so here's the thing I didn't realize was that I, I made this huge fun overarching plot that I put a lot of thought into um, with like this whole conspiracy. Um, and there are two reasons why this didn't work. One, my players were not the nicest people. Like the players themselves were nice, but their characters ended up like abusing their power. Mm. And the whole, the whole idea was supposed to be the police are corrupt and you're supposed to stop that. But then they ended up just mostly hiding their own corruption. Mm -hmm. And then the, because of that, they didn't get to investigate into the police corruption because whenever they heard someone say the police are corrupt, they're like, that's us. <laughs> um, but that was that kind of threw into my plans a little bit. Um, but the other more important thing is that people have a short attention span. And while I had like one player super duper invested in it um, and like, you know, looking through all the newspapers sort of thing, they had a fun, a very fun time. Everyone else had a fun time, but they kind of needed to be, you know, shepherded by that one player. Uh, just people are busy, you know, mm -hmm. as cool as your adventure is, even if like things are supposed to happen back to back, players in a mystery, and this is what I've learned from all my mystery campaigns, they won't remember things too far away. And if you recap it, you run the risk of saying like, oh, yeah, there was this little needle that you found. And like the needle, why is that important? Yep. And then they'll figure it out a little bit too quickly. Um, so that's why I like having players do recap and mystery recaps when I do the mystery things or like giving kind of red herrings to the recaps as well. Um, either way, the point is the overarching plot um, ended up having to be more of like just a classical like I kind of showed them what was happening. There was less of the actual mystery part uh, because of that, just because it's really hard for players to remember. But the thing that took off that I did not expect was I had a ton of filler sessions, right? Because sometimes uh, people, not everyone could make it and whatnot. And these were like independent procedural type mysteries. And those people loved. Mm. Uh, it was really easy and nice to do because you kind of just, you set up with like a premise, you know, and you work backwards. One thing I've learned is working backwards while building a mystery is super useful, you know? Because um, if, you, if you try to figure out what happened, you kind of start with that and that's where you build your clues out from. And... I got really good at making it in a certain time frame where it could fit into one session. And generally, since the whole world is kind of this morally gray, you know, noir type world, um, it was it was fun because uh, sometimes the solutions, like the correct detective-y solution, the correct doing the job solution would not be the moral solution or would not be the uh, whatnot. Um, you know, like it might involve them stepping outside the bounds of the law a little bit to get the case done or to get people to safety or whatnot, uh, which made it a uh, very fun for like this 
kind of, and it became instead of this big overarching conspiracy, I thought like, um, uh, it became more of an episodic show. Um, and, uh, that ended up being super fun because, um, people still developed as characters throughout the episodes, um, but they could much more focus on the mysteries. And I was able to build like kind of different vibes and I was able to build episodes based off of kind of what people were interested in and, you know, offer them like a choice of cases and they could choose one that they, they kind of wanted to do. Um, so while I wanted it to be my big grand, like, you know, Sherlock Holmesian, uh, one big mystery, it ended up being more like the Sherlock Holmes short stories where they were getting the different, um, you know, each was a different sort of adventure. And I think that that works much better for mysteries because of players' attention span. I also think that it allows you to make a more concise mystery. The larger you get, the more convoluted it's going to be. No matter how well you write it, they're going to miss something. And then you're going to have to go back and explain it. Or they're going to do something rash because they get angry that they can't solve it. And they end up murdering one of your NPCs <laughs> and disintegrating them when they're not supposed to. This is not from experience. This is totally hypothetical, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> but... Um, Either way, the whole one-shot mystery idea, if if you're considering running a, a mystery campaign, I would suggest making these sort of uh, procedural type, at least for a few, because it is very fun not only to take a break from a big plot, especially if it's a little dark, to do like a mystery. It's also some of the most engaging mystery-solving content you can have because it it's paced like a movie or a, or a short story. It's not this big thing where people will forget about it. It's this thing where people are invested. They are there for the three, four, five hours, however long you're playing. And it's just, it's a very, like, you feel really good when you finish it. And you feel, and you can also talk about it, which is one of the best things. I love debriefing players after the sessions and all the different stuff that could have happened. And when you're doing a long mystery campaign, you need to wait till the very end. But when you're doing the short sessions, you can kind of just hop in. So yeah, that that's, I guess, my story is when you're making a mystery campaign, it did not turn out the way I thought it would be, but I've learned the value of kind of these procedural type. As much as I make fun of procedural cop shows, there's a reason why they work because they are super fun, especially to play through. So I have lots of thoughts on mysteries because it's also one of my favorite types of games. But I'll let Chris go first because otherwise I'll never shut up. Uh, so Chris, I know we've <laughs> talked touched on different capacities before, but when it comes to like mystery stories, whether it's a full mystery campaign or just like a session or two that you want there to be a mystery, uh, any thoughts you have, anything from what Sam went through that you either commiserate with or maybe some advice you might give him or someone else? Okay. Uh, one thing I do when I do a mystery, just because like you said, people have short memories. I don't recap. I put a piece of paper on the table and go, that's for the players to write down the clues. Hopefully you don't miss something because I'm not going back. That's your reminder of what the clues are. So they have to write down what they want to remember. Trick there is if there's something you wanted them to notice and they didn't, you have to find a way to work that clue in later, which for me is kind of the fun part. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, the needle. Well, they forgot they didn't miss, they missed the needle. So how do I work that in later? You know, maybe they have a second murder that there's another needle at. And they go, oh, yeah, wasn't there a needle in the first one? You know, that kind of thing. I'm also a big fan of how you were talking about the players kind of started getting corrupted. In my world, corruption equals consequences. Yeah, that was huge so, fun to work with was uh, it definitely went south for them in terms of their reputable nature in the police department. And like a lot of their friends suffered from that. So. I go even further, like demons might pop up or the good side might pop up to 
kind of slap you back in place, so to speak, and you might have to repent somehow. You know, 1920s, I mean, maybe the church jumps up. The church says, you need to repent for your evil ways, or we're going to make life difficult. You know, just something like that, just to kind of make them do something in character to kind of, you know, purge some of that corruption, so to speak. So that, that was the first things that kind of popped up in my mind. I'll let you talk now, Michael. Okay. You have a lot to say. Um, so the, the thing that interested me about what you said with the ongoing, like the long-term plan was for them to um, investigate the corruption in the police force. I, I love that as a concept, but I think, and again, it sounds like it, you still had a great campaign, so it wasn't like that ruined anything. It just kind of made it go in a way you weren't expecting. Uh, for me, I would just make sure anyone who's thinking about doing something similar is just build that into the premise and tell the players, you are going to be creating cops. Your cops, part of the mission will be to investigate corrupted other cops. So I don't, I wouldn't want that to be something that, that emerges during play because then exactly what can happen happens. They're like, well, we also were corrupt. Because you can still... <laughs> explore that like one of my favorite tv shows is justified and Raylan givens is definitely walks that line of doing things that you shouldn't do as a law person but ultimately he is on the side of justice like he sometimes crosses the line but it's never for his own like benefit like he doesn't turn dirty but he will let other dirty things happen if they you know they help him so i think you could definitely explore that without like you know we're the good guys we can't do bad things but to say, okay, you're trying to bring down, bring down truly corrupted cops. You might have to cross the line to do that. How how does that affect your character? And you could kind of play with that a little bit. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, one of the things that I do when I'm certainly doing mystery games is I do like for my players to do recaps. Because then if they realize like, hey, we did a recap and they don't mention the needle, then I'm kind of like to Chris's point, I'm like, oh, they forgot about the needle. I need to find a way to bring that back up rather than just saying, oh, don't forget about the needle. Like, but I will find a way for it to come back up. Maybe I'll have like an NPC clerk say, oh, I got that evidence list for you. So there was a pack of cards, cigarettes, a needle. Like I might have it come up in this, the story, but it won't be so glaringly obvious that, oh yeah, you forgot the needle morons, but I'll try to find a way to make it kind of interesting or, you know, brought back up in a way that makes sense for the story. Uh, so interestingly, I'm about to start a campaign that Chris is going to play in. So I can't give too many details. Uh, but the <laughs> campaign that we're going to play is going to be set in the 1970s. We have two players who are playing FBI agents and a third who's playing probably a con man who's pretending to be a psychic. Or maybe they're really a psychic. We're going to figure that out together. Hunting down a serial killer. The biggest thing that I'm currently trying to work on is how can I make each individual session uh, compelling and satisfying if they don't actually solve who the serial killer is until the end of the campaign, which could be 10, 12, 20 sessions after we go. Um, and I like how you mentioned having like closed sort of individual mysteries. And that's similar to what I think I'm going to do is that there are going to be uh, intermediate mysteries that can be solved that will relate to the serial killer. So it's not like they're not going to solve any crimes for a year and a half, and then finally they get to serial killer, uh, there should be crimes that are getting solved along the way. And at least that's what I'm attempting to do with my game to make it interesting as we go and not just blah, blah, blah. Uh, based on your age, I'm not sure. Are you into the X-Files at all? Probably a little bit before you. I am into the X-Files, yes. So I, that's um, kind of also because some of my favorite episodes of the X-Files are the one-off 
Merton, you know, missed Freak of the Week sort of thing. Like, I mean, I got into Mine the too, o- yeah. overarching mystery, but some of the best episodes are just like tombs. You know, it's like it's just the sort of one off that became a two off. Uh, so I like that I where you have a balance of both. Sometimes the campaign, this is going to be a session that that extends the the overarching campaign, and this is going to be a just a mystery of the week type of adventure. Also, I think it's important to note, like like you were saying. You can have a satisfying mystery session that go- gets you towards the final goal without getting you the final goal. One thing I I tried to do when I was running my mystery, the mages one, uh, was you know like they're like tracking down this corruption and uh, not just in the police but in other parts of the city. And there can be major breakthroughs, like an item that was missing that they can find in in a session that can make it feel like a win, even though it asks more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing, originally I was trying to make it kind of this big mystery, but what I realized is if it's kind of like a bunch of like interlocking rings, like smaller mysteries, that can be a little bit better sometimes because, you know, there are big leaps they can make. There are things they can figure out that are super important and feel very much like I have solved a big part of the mystery and now the next part is here such that it really still feels independent. It feels like they have the clues. And yeah, a few clues from before obviously pop back up and whatnot. Um, but you've got kind of a case carved out that is still plot relevant. It's it's not just like a filler episode, but it is still independent enough where you don't need to be, you know, going back to your notes for just about everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are leads you can track down. That's the other thing is that when there are different leads... Like, I did a different mystery campaign that was, like, it started with a ton of leads, right? Well, not a ton, but, like, quite a few leads. And they could spend, they might spend a full session tracking down one lead. And gathering that lead gets you a piece of the story, and it kind of feels like the whole idea of it being independent, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not entirely independent, but that lead itself is a mini mystery, and I think that's something that it sounds like you're going to do with your Mm -hmm. uh, serial killer campaign. So one of the things, too, that comes up a lot with uh, D&D specifically as a murder, or not a murder, but like a mystery uh, system, because it's not, D&D is not necessarily designed well for mystery campaigns. Uh, there's not a lot of skills. You know, it's basically going to come down to a spot, to a search, or like an intimidate charisma type of thing a lot of times. Um which I I have run very successful mysteries in D and D. We're not using D and D for this next one, but I don't I don't think you can't do it. I just think you have to make some concessions. Uh, for me, one of the big things is you can't hide an important clue behind a skill check. Like if you need them to find a thing, you need them to find it, and then the skill checks can be: Do they know what to do with it, or does it? You know, do they immediately go to the next step, or do they go off on the red herring because they failed the skill check? So they're still going to get there eventually but it might take an extra session. It might take an extra uh, interaction, an extra encounter. But there, in my mind, there's two big schools of thought when it comes to mysteries, and particularly in D&D. Is, is there truly a set rules, a set mystery, and the players have to figure it out or they don't solve the mystery? Or do you play it a little bit more loosey-goosey where I may go, okay, there's three clues they need to find. They need to find this piece of evidence. They need to find out this rumor or this you know, piece of information, and they need to find a specific person. Is, do I pick those three things and say exactly where they are? Or do I go, okay, that, that clue could be found in one of three locations, and whichever one they go to, it will be there. Uh, you know, They need to figure out who did it. But it could actually be three or four different people. I'm going to figure out who they're focusing on and just let them be right. In my mind, as long as I never tell anybody, 
which way I went, they will feel exactly the same at the table. So, Sam, are you the set in stone, players got to figure it out, or are you more loosey-goosey and just never tell them what actually happened kind of guy? I am 100% set in stone on what the actual mystery is. I might be a bit more loosey-goosey on um, clues. You know, like I'll throw stuff in if they need help. I do like my players winning. I like them having to struggle for it if they aren't doing a good job. But I'll throw in more clues or throw in more red herrings to to mix it but because of the way i build mysteries i was as i mentioned i build them backwards mm-hmm. so i start with one person can do it and the evidence is such that only one person can do it so because of that i always have a very specific like timeline of events in my head of what happened what led up to this the question is what evidence was left and you know like um if they're not getting it i might do the classic oh this person smokes cigars and there's a cigar butt um at the that they could find you know things like that but it is always such that i more so add in more stuff to help them if they need help but it always is going to fit into the same timeline and story i had in my head okay uh and just because chris is here i will tell you that at least for the first session which is the only thing i have planned there is a definitive mystery there is definitely someone who did it uh it we might have to loosey-goosey to get you there. It depends on your character and your roles, but I'm not going to be mm-hmm. making that up. Th- now, session three, I don't know yet, but session one, I've had enough mm-hmm. time. I've, I've written what I think is a really cool mystery, so hopefully you will enjoy that. Uh, but I want to ask you, Chris, same thing. Like When you're making a mystery, is it set in stone and the player's got to figure it out, or are you more likely to move things? Or, like, if they go really far down a rabbit hole on the wrong person, are you just going to let that person be the, be the person who did it just for the sake of pacing or giving the players a sense of uh, accomplishment? Little A, little B. Kind of depends upon, for me, how long do we want to play this game? If you know, want to get it done fairly quick, if it's a one-shot, then whatever direction they take it in is probably who's going to be the killer. Yep. Uh, if I've got more time, then I don't mind having it be a dead end or they get there and be like, oh, no, it wasn't Sam. Ugh, silly us. But Sam's now going to give a clue that points in another direction. Uh, when I do murder mysteries, I have kind of a vague idea of who did it. Not so much who did it, but what entity or organization is doing it. Mm-hmm. So there's there's always a bigger story in my mind. So it's usually not, you know, wouldn't be just using my same example, wouldn't just be Sam. Sam's part of the Illuminati, who's really the right. overall bad guy. So it may not actually be Sam that gets there. It may actually be Michael but you're both part of the Illuminati. Mm -hmm. So I kind of let it go whichever direction. I also use a lot of supernatural stuff that I pull out. You know, there's a portal that appears and this evil elf stabs your friend and then disappears. What? A portal? We've never seen this. That's weird. Welcome to the supernatural type murder mystery. So, Uh, One of my GM um, like uh, techniques that I will use in that case is if they're on a red herring, but I don't want to just like change it to let them be right. Like, okay, we definitely think it's Sam. Uh, Sam's going to die. Mm. I mean, and that's classic murder mysteries. Like we think Sam's a killer. We show up at Sam's apartment. Sam died in the same method of our original person. So clearly yeah. it wasn't Sam. Um, so that that's the way to get them off of that red herring. Like, well, obviously it wasn't Sam, but now in my story, I have to find a way to make it make sense that this person was killed also by the same killer. Uh, so right. I, so sometimes my loosey goosey nature might be that it may not be turning Sam into the killer, but it may be like, well, I guess our killer now killed the Sam for some reason. And I'll have to make up that because I didn't know ahead of time that was going to happen. 
so that's also some of my loosey-goosey nature. Uh, but I love mysteries. It's one of my favorite types of, of stories to run in whatever setting. And uh, I will say I'm very excited about the game that we are going to start playing soon. Uh, I'm in my head. And th- this is just a thing for me. And like every time I come up with a, with a, um, with a campaign idea in my head, it's perfect. Like it's just fully formed. This is a perfect game, but it's how do you turn that idea into a game that is fun because like if I was writing this as a story it'd be great because I'd, I'd be able to control everything mm-hmm. but once you get players involved they do stupid stuff uh, so how do I make it fun for them or or great stuff or they do really smart stuff yeah. and then you have to <laughs> you have to adapt to you it have to and adapt. you're like that's a plot hole right exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah, perfectly yeah but they they do things that your if you were writing it wouldn't do and that's the fun don't get me wrong I, like, I'm not upset at that but that's my my challenge my anxiety is how do I take this perfectly conceptualized story throw in these random variables and make it fun for them to play while still you know being true to what I what the story I was trying to envision originally. And it almost never works out exactly, but as long as it's fun to play, I'll worry about the other stuff later. So, all right. So Sam, again, we'll circle back to you. Any last words, any other thoughts that you had of mystery advice you would give to someone who wants to run a mystery game, anything we didn't already cover? Yeah. So one thing that you were saying, Michael, that I wanted to expand upon uh, was about like adapting. I love getting into the mind of the killer or whatever monster or conspiracy is going on and thinking how they would adapt. Because for me, as I mentioned, the past, when I design a mystery, is set in stone. It is something that happened. That is how I built it. I start with the past and then kind of, you know, the crime, the work backwards to the clues on what is happening now. But what the killer does forward is totally based on, the on you know, what the players do as well. So, like, I've had games where it's become, it was supposed to just be one murder but because of the way the players are doing it. I've been like, well, this killer definitely cares about not getting caught more than they care about anything else. So they're going to start you know, picking off people or they're going to just hide and stuff. And getting into that mindset, not only is it super fun because it's kind of like a game for you, the DM, to play yep. while everyone else is playing, it's also super fun because it can completely change the vibe, you know? If you're kind of more like a static killer that did one killer kill and then is trying to hide, it can be like Agatha Christie. Mm. But all of a sudden, it can become total horror if your killer's running around or it can become, as Chris said, you know, this overarching conspiracy where you're like a portal and then <laughs> this the investigation is taken in a whole new direction. It's, it's getting into the mindset of whatever evil force is working, but playing it, knowing it, that you're there to, like you as the DM are there to entertain, so you're not just going to, you know, stab the players and take them into a room and stab them, is very fun, and it's one of my favorite, it's why I like mystery so much, is because it is so fun for me to DM, and it is so adaptable, where I feel like I have to be on my toes, and I love that about uh, role-playing. Chris, any final thoughts for you? I would say that uh, sometimes planning a murder mystery or just a mystery can really stretch your GM skills. So be prepared to get a little frustrated when you run it sometimes, especially when the players aren't grabbing that clue that you think is the most obvious thing in the room. Yes, it's the knife right there in the guy's stomach, and they're looking at his feet. You know, you got to just roll with it and try to lead him back to where you want him to go. Just be patient. Uh, I would say uh, if you want to run a mystery, 
you should read mysteries. You should play mysteries. And I would currently say watching mm-hmm. Only Murderers in the Building on Hulu is a favorite show. It's very fun and funny, but there's actually mysteries to be solved. And I really think those, I haven't, obviously the third season just started, but I think those first two seasons actually work as a very good template for what like a D&D mystery would be like, because there aren't adventurers. These are just people who are investigating murders and they've got people that are very obviously it who turn out not to be it. They're clues. They get to re, re- tech, recontextualize those clues, uh, especially if you're playing it kind of like a silly, like if you're not like uber serious, but just like a funny kind of, you know, it's still murder mystery, but they're fun. Like that's why we, we read about them. I definitely think you could do worse than, than watch that couple seasons of TV and then crib from some of the things that they're doing. Also, brief second to plug the soundtrack for that series. It's what I used for my oh. Mages of Manhattan campaign. Um, it was like the theme when they were solving stuff. Great soundtrack. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm I'm not a big audio person. I know lots of people who love it. I probably should do more of it. But yeah, I, I can definitely see like I'm listening like the, the music in my head. I could see how that would be very, especially if you have people who watch the show, they're going to kind of be able to like, oh, you know, that, that matches the thing that we're doing. I can see that a lot. All right, so we are going to move now into Where Have My Fingers Been? This is our second improv game, uh, and this is where we are going to basically take turns again prompting each other to create a short scene that involves two little finger puppets interacting in some way based on the prompt. If you feel really you know, froggy, you can bring in a third. Uh, most people don't do that. That's a Scott classic sort of thing. Uh, Sam, you once again are the guest tonight, so would you like to go first in terms of prompting Chris or I to start the chain, or would you like to be prompted first? I think this time um, you should prompt me. All right. So it's very important. Before we do the prompt, we have to sing the song. New York Tater dictates it. So the song is, where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? But before you sing that, Chris, do you have a prompt for Sam or do you want me to get this prompt? Uh, Go ahead. Okay. All right, Sam. So go ahead and sing the song. All right. Where have my fingers been? Where have my fingers been? Your fingers are examining a dead body looking for clues. All right. So here we have in front of us. But what exactly? Well, let's see. If we look at the feet over here, Michael. Yeah, there's a knife in his chest. Oh yeah. Well, if we look at the knife over here, we see that it's covered in blood. Whose blood? Well, uh, probably his blood. We have to take it to be examined first. Perhaps I should taste the blood. No, don't <laughs> taste the blood. If you taste everything on the crime scene, you're, you're, you're going to die eventually. I'm going to taste it anyway. I know how he died, and it's not by the knife. Yeah, I was thinking that because, wait, what? Yeah, it's definitely from the poison because I am not feeling good. <laughs> Shh. All right, someone take this body to the coroner. We'll, we'll get it examined. And that's where your yes, fingers are. Scene. Perfect. Yay. Okay. So sadly, my internet is the worst yet. So on my screen, you were really roboting out. I think the way Zoom records, you should still be, the audio should still be okay. Uh, but if not, I will assume that was a master level performance anyways. All right. So uh, the way the chain will go, you will All know. Right. Well, I won't tell you otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one will ever know. So Sam, you will prompt Chris for his scene, but Chris obviously has to sing the song. All right. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers, going with the crime arc, have just committed a murder completely by accident and need to figure out what to do with the body. Uh, 
can't believe you did that. What? I mean, just that. Sorry. Well, now what are we going to do? Oh, but we should, we should do something. All right. What do you want to do? Very first time? <laughs> Me too. But what can we do? Um, let's roll him up in the rug. Uh, we don't have a rug. <laughs> a tarp? Mm, we're out in the forest. <sighs> leaves. Get lots and lots of leaves. Yeah. And I'm the idiot. <laughs> and that's where my fingers have been. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I think that murder is going to be solved. All right. So uh, you, will, Chris, you will prompt <laughs> me. I will sing the song, of course. So where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? All right. I'm going to roll right with the theme. You're examining a body, but you're two goblins. Why are you talking like that? I, I don't know. It's just, I was, I'm doing this uh, at home study course. I thought it'd be fun to talk about that. Okay. Seriously, we got to be serious here. Okay. We are the only two goblins on the, the investigative force. And if we don't solve this mystery, they're going to kick us off. Well, we know who killed the guy. We did. Yeah, but we can't. We have to catch a different other person. Okay, so how about you go through his wallet and see what his ID says? Okay. All right. Have you done that? Yeah, yeah, I did that. Okay. Uh, how about you grab that sword that we stabbed him with and you move it over there? Okay. Okay, I've done that. Okay. How about you get some of the blood? And you put it on your hands. Oh, that's really weird. But okay. Excellent. I have now just caught the killer. Ah! That's where my fingers have been. Yay. <laughs> that was terrible. Okay. So we're going to move into cryptozoology. This is basically sort of our last segment. We're going to take a look at a monster, usually from D&D, &D, but not always. Uh, we're going to talk about some ways that maybe we have used this monster in the past if we have. And we're going to brainstorm some ways that we could use this monster in the future. Uh, Sam, again, you are the guest here tonight. So what monster have you brought for us to talk about? I have brought one of my favorite monsters that I've used in many different mystery campaigns, uh, horror campaigns too. Uh, it is the uh, False Hydra. All right. I've never even heard of this before, but you were saying that it's gotten some acclaim. It's like a homebrew monster that kind of blew up on the internet. So enlighten yes. us. What is the False Hydra? So the False Hydra uh, seems, it's a bit more fleshy than a normal Hydra, but it seems very similar. You know, it's got the five heads. If you cut them off, the heads rege can regenerate. Um, it is a um, relatively tanky monster, but that is not really the important thing. Uh, the important thing is that it can sing this song with a bonus action, and that song makes you forget that you've ever seen it. Um, so Similar to, it's inspired by The Silence from Doctor Who. Oh. Um, so basically, you'll be investigating something, and the song, if you, can, if you can hear it, you'll start to forget it. So people will get killed by this monster, and... They won't. The the people who knew them will start to forget about the person who died because they were in the same place as the monster. Like they died, but I I can't remember how they're missing. Um, and it makes for a very interesting uh campaign. I love kind of monster hunts where monsters have a particular weakness or a particular like, kind of game to get around. And this monster is excellent for that. Not only that, but it is pretty tough too. It it does have legendary actions where it can bite more and with. Each head gets an action where it can like attack or use its claws. 
Um, so that makes it uh, – it's really easy to, because of that to just determine how, the difficulty by the number of heads. So like for a high-level campaign, you can have more heads. For a lower campaign, maybe just two heads. Um, it also determines the difficulty of the more heads that are singing, the harder it is to succeed this wisdom save, which you'll need to succeed if you don't want to forget it. Mm. Uh, the other way, of course, is to deafen yourself. And I have done so many interesting things. I did one in that uh, Mages of uh, Manhattan campaign, um, which was super fun. It was uh, they, it was in a, like a apartment complex tenement type thing uh, where this monster was holed up. And the fun thing is that you know witnesses their statements aren't adding up. The other super cool thing is I use uh, sometimes roll twenty. Uh, in this case, D and D Beyond, right, to keep track of characters and stuff. So what I would do is because you're supposed to like forget about this monster once you sort of see it and hear it, um, there will be like chunks of your memory that are is kind of gone. And you'll be standing in a place, you know, you'll be here, and then it will feel like you've teleported, but you actually haven't. So one of the fun things I do is I would roll in secret for like a little fight, and then they would look at their character sheet and be like, wait, why am I missing eight hit points? And then because off screen... They forgot about it because they failed the wisdom save, but I made the monster fight them. Uh, and it was super fun because the mystery becomes also looking into what the heck is happening. Um, and uh, you'll be losing items. You know, you'll be waking up in dark rooms. Um, and it it's more fun to play this monster as like it has an objective than it's just trying to kill people just because, you know, otherwise it could just kill people and they forget. Uh, but I had a hugely fun time. I also did it in a um, like medieval town campaign where it was kind of like um, taking out uh, townspeople, and it kind of had a vendetta because the townspeople went to try to like kill a brood of false hydras, and they succeeded. It was the last one left, but it was kind of taking revenge on the, like the people in the guard or the people in the town militia. Um, but of course, they didn't even remember that. But the things that did exist were paper documents. So there's so much fun to do with memory versus actual evidence um, with this monster. It is great for mysterious stuff. And it makes for a pretty straightforward but still fun boss fight. It has a burrow speed of 40 feet and a walking speed of like 5 or 10 feet, which means it's like, you know, it's it's very fun to kind of play whack-a-mole with it with <laughs> different heads. And um, a lot of mine... Uh, the times I've used it, it's ended people chasing down this monster, you know, running through the burrows. Um, and then, of course, having to figure out, do they deafen themselves? Uh, do they do they learn about this monster? Do they do the thing where they're, um, you know, recording it somehow on a device so that they can look at it again? Um, it's super fun um, just to have a sort of puzzle box, like a monster that makes a kind of mystery, a kind of adventure around it. You could just give me a false hydra in a setting, and I feel like we you could one could easily just improv sort of this whole what this thing does because it's nice for a creature to have motivation and a mm -hmm. false hydra has not only a tons of good motivations you can have but a great way for it to accomplish those like a great set of tools from a role playing from a storytelling perspective as cool as a monster that spits fire is spitting fire is an attack maybe you can bend that into like how it does things like maybe it, it i don't know if it wants to melt metal down and it's actually a forge master or something but the point is the false hydra is so intertwined with that thing that it is just so fun to drop it into any settings and see really to embody the false hydra as the dm and think like it would think and mm -hmm. really mess with your players which i love doing in ways that don't actually kill them but mess with them and make them super confused is a lot of fun so I, I'm going to assume, Chris, that you've never used this creature because you told me beforehand you also never heard of it. Uh, but based on what Sam has told us, any thoughts on how you might um, implement it in a campaign? 
I would have fun with it, but I, I don't know if I'd make it a full Hydra. I like the concept of it being a smaller creature that's just popping in and out to have fun. And then at the end, you know, you meet him and it's just a creature that's just been having fun, stealing little things and singing songs and nobody knows what's going on. And I would actually play it off where, you know, maybe it steals something from Michael and then puts it in Sam's house and steals something from Sam and puts it in, you know, somebody else's house. And, you know, people keep running around trying to figure out who's stealing. Why is everybody stealing from each other? And meanwhile, it's just this little creature that's having fun and singing songs to make you forget that he was there. Yeah, it's more of like a mischief or maker. Or you have more fun. That, yeah. That just uses it you if it gets fun. caught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could have fun with it, too. If you had the best meal you've ever had, but you can't remember who cooked it. You know, just things like that. I think it'd be fun to throw stuff like that in. Um, as a murder mystery or a mystery, I think, I think players might get a, a little frustrated if their characters don't remember why. So you'd have to throw something in there that helps them, some other clue. I think that would be the trick with it. What? Yeah, one thing I've done for my many times running through that's important is that physical evidence doesn't disappear. Like bite marks, those don't disappear. Gotcha. Um, so they'll start to learn what they're fighting. And generally you throw them in with, you know, there's some way, there's a book, there's an old wise man, something like that where they could sort of figure out more. Um, and then also people, when they say with, when they succeed the save, if they can run away and they haven't failed the save, they will remember some stuff. But just, I think that, um, uh, from the mystery perspective, the chaos agent perspective is super fun as like, I I've used it once, I think as like kind of a minor enemy that was kind of just an agent of chaos. Um, but if it is like the main monster, the sort of monster hunt monster, um, then you're going to, yeah, you're going to need to leave behind physical evidence that doesn't get erased because seeing it gets erased you're going to need to have stories you're going to need to have things carved in you're going to need to have someone who knows a folktale but doesn't know why they know it you know um and i think the important thing is to mix up kind of the stuff happens and your players don't know with stuff happens really quickly and technically their memories don't get erased like shadowy you see a shadowy form moves you can't remember what it looks like but you distinctly remember fighting the shadowy form and you see it for a second mm -hmm. So I like um, the idea yeah. of um, like the players come into kind of like what you did where they come into like a small village where the village has been affected. And so they are trying to unravel the mystery of why people are acting weird. Like it's, you know, there's, there's clear evidence that this, um, you know, blacksmith used to have an apprentice, uh, but now they don't, but they don't remember they didn't have the apprentice or maybe it's like a married couple and the, and the wife's, the husband's missing, but she doesn't remember it. So I think very clearly you're going to be like, okay, something's going on with their memory. People are missing, but they don't remember that they're missing. That's really weird. And I think I would have one person who isn't affected by the memory loss. And that's like, okay, they're behind it. But then you realize that they're actually just working. Like maybe they, they bartered like, Hey, don't kill me. I'll bring you somebody type of a thing. Or they are working for the Hydra or they're in some way affected. Maybe it's happening so often that it's affecting their memory to a level they are forgetting normal things. Like people are forgetting how to eat or drink or walk or do their job. Uh, and that's when the players come in. Like, like it's like almost like a whole village of debilitated people who just can't function, but there's like one person who can, and maybe they even pretend to not be able to. So then it's like a deception check. Like they're trying to pretend like they also don't know how to do things, but they, they can't, they can. So that would be like the first step of the mystery is talking to everybody and then realizing one person seems to be faking the ailment. Um, but yeah, I think I, 
I don't really do a lot of VTT stuff. Like that's just not the way I've, I've always just done more, just, you know, use your own character sheets, but I really like that concept. Maybe that would be like the benefit of using one where you can go in and manipulate their character sheet and go, you know, like, Hey, why, why all of a sudden am I missing items and my hit points? You don't know, but you did. There's a weird scratch on your arm. Like I, I think there that would be additive to that type of monster in that scenario. That would be harder to pull off around the table. And you're just like, hey, give me your character sheet, and you physically erase it. It, it would feel more deliberate and less um, like like a realization they have when they notice it. I do really like that as a concept. Yeah, and the times I have done around the tabletop, I didn't kind of do like, here's your character sheet. I more did like, I marked down, because it was never like killing stuff, but I would mark down like they take eight damage. And then when they're examining themselves and they see they have a scratch room, I'm like, your health health also has been reduced. Like you've lost eight health, but you don't remember when you did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is more fun to have people kind of look and be like, wait a minute, when did that happen? I've been doing a lot of VTT stuff just because uh, my you know group of people I play with, I play with tons of people online, and I play with people that no longer live in the areas where I live. Sure. So, yeah. Also, just on a ridiculous level, the, I, I pulled an image off the internet. I don't know who the artist is. My apologies. I just, I just Googled False Hydra and picked an image. But it basically looks like five bald, white, like grimacing faces with these weird sort of hooks. It's probably based off the, the Doctor Who episode. But I kind of have this image of like the Hydra underground, but they run like the the goods, like the trading goods store. And so there's just like one of the heads is wearing like a hood and a cloak. And when you come in, it just sort of talks to you like normal, but then it sings to you. So you don't remember. What, so it's like it's robbing people. But it's not eating them. But then, like, there's like brothers, so like a different head will come up with a different cloak on, and I was like, those brothers are really weird. I don't know what's going on. Like, they seem to have all this money, but yet they never seem to buy or sell anything. I mean, that I, obviously that's I would have to workshop that to make it make sense. But that, I have the image of something along those lines. Yeah, I think the idea of a false hydra running a crime syndicate where they get away with all this stuff because no one can remember is just, it's very fun. The idea that no one can remember something is just a super fun tool to work with. Um, I always love stuff uh, with memory, you know, and mm-hmm. the false hydra does a lot for that. I do also love Chris's idea of like the little goblin-esque person running around that's mm-hmm. kind of like a leprechaun causing mischief, just doing shenanigans with just just for the sake of it. I think that... The more important thing than the actual Hydra is, of course, the ability it has. Though I, I, I do really like the monster designs that they have for it. Again, it's homebrew, so there's not really an official monster design. But the idea of like a flashy, like humanoidish Hydra faces are like five-headed creature is also really cool. So, all right, well, very good. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Sam. So we're going to move into our final section, which is the audience Q and A. We do have a few people who've been hanging out with us. Uh, so the idea here is anyone's watching. If you have any questions that you would like for us to answer, it makes sense to be gaming related, but doesn't have to be, but we reserve the right not to answer anything that we think is inappropriate. Uh, There's a little bit of a delay built in. So while we are waiting for any questions that might come in, we'll go around the horn one more time. Everyone can kind of, again, give their socials. Uh, Sam, if you want to plug your game again, we'll go ahead and start with you. Just tell, again, people where they can find the game and why they should go support it. And then anything else you want to plug. Uh, yeah, so I've been working on a game called Slash, the horror movie tabletop RPG. It's inspired by 80s and 90s slashers. There's a lot of mystery stuff, as we've been talking about mysteries as well. Um, it is 
intended for these uh, like one-shot type horror sessions or mystery sessions where uh, you are much weaker than what you're up against and you kind of need to find a way to, to get around it and to work with it. Uh, you've got classic like horror movie structure and like uh, act structure um, archetypes that upgrade over time. Um, and you've also got some great um, – a dice system that I, I really like. I'm a big fan of the symbol-based dice system. So I made um, a sort of cross between the time stories and um, Genesis dice system of this being like you roll symbols um, and some you can get side effects that affect you down the road, sort of butterfly effect until dawn vibes. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to work on. You can find that on Kickstarter if you just look for Slash or Slash RPG. Um, and anything else I want to plug? Not particularly. I mean, just uh, that's what I've been working on. Um, I mean, I will plug just... Uh, mystery campaigns and horror stuff in general it's a lot of fun to do and i've been talking about it for way too long so uh i would highly recommend you do some of that stuff um and that's that's really all oh uh what is it uh slash underscore ttrpg is is the instagram for slash we post updates there so you can look okay. at that too i did put the link in the show notes uh for the kickstarter and then there will be in the show notes your campaign will actually be over before this episode goes out uh but if yeah. there's any like redirect or like maybe a post kickstarter because you've already funded well funded so but there might be a way to like support it after the fact so if yeah, people follow the link looking. they'll get you there got it cool all right. Uh, I did have a question that's specifically for me, so I'll answer that in a second. Chris, uh, where can people find you if there's anything you want to plug? Uh, you can find me on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. Uh, Berlu underscore Chris. Catch me here every other week on Detention. Uh, same weeks we do Detention on Mondays, uh, Smuggler's Blues, which is the continue, kind of continuation of Redemption uh, streaming. And then the same week, Thursdays, I'm doing the Dragonlance game. I think we're we're starting to get into some points where we're going to jump ahead. Okay. The, the hex crawl is going to take six years to do the mm -hmm. way they've got it written, so I'm modifying it some more. So uh, we're having some fun with that. Uh, otherwise, see me at a catacon in November. Yeah, I say the Dragon Lance episodes have started coming out. Uh, so every Friday, episodes are dropping. The first two are out. The third one will be out this week. Uh, I believe we have eight in the bag. We have a few more that need to be uploaded, but the, the plan is once mm -hmm. they start coming out, hopefully they'll continue, but you know, life can happen. Um, so the question we did have was about a catacomb. So I'll just plug again, me, I'm at the RPG Academy pretty much anywhere. I'm still most active on Twitter, but I'm trying to move over to blue sky. I just Twitter. It makes me sad. I love Twitter. It's brought a lot of really good <laughs> things and people into my life, but it is a hellscape at the moment, uh, with no signs of changing. So I'm, I'm hoping that blue sky will become a more permanent home. I'm at the RPG Academy on both. Um, a catacomb is the game convention that I host. Chris also helps as, as there's a whole lot of people. It's in Dayton, Ohio in November. And um, the Kickstarter goes live next Tuesday, the 15th of August. It will run for about four and a half weeks. It's a little longer this time than normal, just the way the calendar worked out. That's what we're doing. Um, so the question that came in was, when do events get submitted? So normally we don't do it till the Kickstarter is over. Like immediately as soon as it's over, within like a day, I will move everybody over to the tabletop site and then people can start submitting events. But because the way this one uh, is a little bit extended, I might look at opening that early. It gets a little bit muddy because technically people pledge for a badge through Kickstarter. I have to give them one on tabletop events. And then if they end up like their pledge doesn't go through, it cancels. That doesn't happen to many people, but it does make it a little bit more confusing. But so Rodebush probably once a Kickstarter ends within a day or two, that's when that'll go live. But I'll definitely update you more as we get closer. 
All right. So if any other questions come in, we'll answer those. But in the meantime, there's one question that we ask everybody. Oh, Chris has a question. Yeah. No, no, there's one for me. Oh, go for it. Yeah, Justin. Uh, well, first, thank you for liking the Dragonlance ones. First two episodes I thought were a little slow, and the third episode's where I felt like as a group we really got our groove. So should really start kicking off now. How far ahead are we live compared to the recordings? A couple months. So quite a bit. I think, gosh, I want to say I have eight or ten episodes already are uh, queued up to go and I've got another probably eight or ten hours to edit so quite a few quite a ways just a, just a little bit but we were trying to do it just to kind of give me ch a chance to edit ahead because I'm not the quickest editor and sometimes with life I sometimes can't edit every week like I want to so I really wanted to wait till I had a good amount in the can so to speak so I I'd say probably, yeah, they've, well. I mean, I'll say I've had those eight for a good two months. So you've got at least yeah. three or four more sessions yeah. since I've had them. If it helps, they're sixth level now and they're first level when they start. And it's probably roughly every other game is when they went up a level. If that makes sense. And some of our games were, two hours long, some of them were four hours, but I cut them up into 45 minutes to an hour segments for the podcast because I don't have the attention span to listen to a four-hour role-playing podcast. Me neither. So I assume nobody else does. So hopefully that answered it. Yep. Kind of a long way to get there. All right. All right. So now, Sam, our, the question we ask all of our guests is, imagine that you're being turned into a action figure. I don't mean you're actually being transformed by, by a genie, but they're going to make an action figure out of Sam. What are the three accessories that will come with your action figure? Um, I don't think I have it with me, but I have this wooden sword I made. Um, so story is my high school cross country team was really weird. And we had a wooden sword that all the captains got. And when I was a captain, I had the wooden sword. But obviously, when I graduated, I don't want to part with a wooden sword. No. So I made another one, no. my own. And I wrote I wrote on it in uh, Draconic, 5e Draconic script. Um, it was super fun. So that would obviously be okay. there. Wooden sword. Um, let's see. Wooden sword. I have steampunk goggles I wear a lot. I used to have much longer hair, and I would need a headband when I was running. So steampunk goggles. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, those could come down over my eyes, obviously, even though they're terrible for your vision uh, when they do that. Uh, and then what would my last accessory be? Um, I think it would be I, I have a bag I carry around a lot with um, all sorts of games in it, like board games, typically social deduction-y, high level, high, not high level, high amount of player stuff. Mm. Um, and it's kind of like a little satchel bag. Uh, so it would probably have that, and I know this is a cheat, but it would probably have little little games you could pull out. Probably because it's an action figure, none, none of them would actually be copyrighted, so right. it would be just like fake names. Um, but yeah, those are my three accessories. Right. Instead of Clue, you'd have like evidence, instead of Monopoly, evidence. capitalism. Yes. So, so, so there's like a non-IP associated name for all the games. Well, you got to have the thing that you could actually sell without getting sued. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. All right. That, yeah. All right. Well, Sam, thank you so much for being here. For anyone who's hanging out and watching, I apologize. The stream seemed a little bit more wonky than it has been in the past. Uh, we may play around more. We'll have maybe have Chris host both 
if his internet seems to be a little bit more robust than mine, because um, we didn't have a problem for a long time and now it's starting to come back. But Sam, you're an excellent guest. Congratulations on the Kickstarter. Again, it's already well-funded. Hopefully we'll send a couple more people your way, get you a couple more backers before it shuts down tomorrow. Um, and anyone listening in a Catacon, Kickstarter goes live next Tuesday. Please support us there. And uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun. You're doing it right. That's what it is. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everyone.